when uh, my kids were little, they used to love the trust fall thing. And so like Caleb was about three years old and we were, I was on staff at Southside and he used to just yell at me, dad. And if I didn't turn, I, I would miss him and he would be flying through the air. So on the stage at Southside, we'd be at, after church, I'd be standing down there talking and all of a sudden I'd hear dad and homeboy would be flying. I mean like this off the stage and I'd have to catch him. He'd go, let's do it again. And he'd, again, he wanted to do it all the time. And one time we were moving a friend into a second story apartment and, um, <laughs> I'm walking on the, on the ground floor and I look up and he's going, dad, and he's just about to jump. And I'm like, no, 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 come on, dude. No, don't do it. He was, he was just this daredevil. And all of my kids have loved the trust fall. So I asked Rachel if she would come up and help me today. Um, and, and she's a little, she's a little grown up now than when we used to do this, but even into her teenage years, she would say, dad, and she would just fall back. So I'm going to, I'm going to test and see how much she trusts me today. So Rachel, I want you to face me and I want you to cover your, your arms across here, and I want you to fall back. No? Okay. She's not very obedient at 22. Okay? Turn, turn your back to the audience. Okay. Now just fall backwards. Come on. Okay. Let's try it this way. <clears throat> All right. This way. Rachel, you trust me? Fall. Okay. Now, when they were little, I used to love to see how far down I could go and still catch them. And so we hadn't practiced this one, so we're going to see how much she trusts me. All right, Rach, do you trust me? Yes, sir. <laughs> Fall. Oh, I got you easy there, baby. I won't do what we used to do. I used to catch them right before the ground. They go, hoo-hoo, and then they do it again. <clears throat> okay, let's see just how much you trust me. All right, hop up on here. Now, face me. Cross your arms. Fall backwards. Okay. Turn, turn, no, turn this way. Yeah, fall backwards. Okay, turn this way. Rachel, you trust me? Fall. Woo! All right, let's, 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 no, 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 let's make this good. <laughs> I am just kidding. Go ahead, you can get down. <laughs> but she would have done it. She would have done it, right, baby? Why? Because, because she knows her father. Now, your success in life depends entirely upon whom you are leaning, whom you are trusting. Let's, let's read a verse from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In the Hebrew language, lean means to prop up against, prop one thing up against another. Rachel literally did not lean on her own understanding. Whose understanding or whose power over gravity does she lean on? Her father's. And please tell me I don't have to explain that in the spiritual realm. That if you want to go down the right path, you have to lean on your heavenly father, not on your own understanding. Because we lean on our own understanding all the time, don't we? Anyone? Every day we're tempted to lean on, base our decisions on our own understanding. We lean on our wisdom, our experiences, our feelings. And I just got to ask you, how's that working out for you? Not only do we lean on our own, we want other people to lean on our wisdom, feelings, and understanding. We're in a group and somebody will say, well, you know, this happened. They'll just start pouring out their hearts and somebody will say, well, you know, when I had that happen to me, here's what I did and here's what I think you should do. And based on my understanding, I have some advice for you. There's way too many eyes in there. Who is that person leaning on when they give that type of advice? 
themselves. They're leaning on their own understanding, and we're not going to do that. See, we have this serious eye problem, and it's so serious that in our small groups, in our Celebrate Recovery groups, we actually has a, have a rule that says, do not fix other people, which means you're not supposed to say, I, 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 I. You're supposed to let them share, point them to God, pray with them, walk with them through stuff, but do not ever think you are smart enough, wise enough for someone to lean on your... You're not even wise enough to lean on your own understanding. Why would you think someone else should lean on your understanding, no matter how wise you are. And see, I would, I would hope you should be wiser this year than you were last year. Should be is the key phrase there. But no matter how wise you are, no matter how many experiences you are, don't you dare think that you're wise enough to lean on your own understanding. People will say all the time, I've heard this for 36 years I've been in ministry. I don't need to pray about it. And I'm like, oh, just step away from the fool. The only time you don't need to pray about something is if God's word is so clear that you're like, okay, it really makes no sense to pray to ask God to do something he's already said he's going to do. Now, but there are other things that you need to pray about. I did not find Janie Gardner's name in the book of Proverbs that I'm supposed to marry Janie Gardner, who's now Janie Washburn, right? There's some things you need to pray about. But there's a lot of people who say, I, I, don't, I don't pray about it. Why? Because my understanding is enough. I was a kid once, so I know how to parent. That's like saying, I had surgery once, so now I can do surgery on you. I actually did surgery one time. A friend of mine cut himself, and he came to a small group, and we had, a, we had a, a vet in our small group, and she was supposed to sew him up, and she had to leave on an emergency call. She hands me the sewing kit, and after small group, at my table, my kids are sitting around eating supper, watching me sew this dude up, and I took the little hook-shaped um, needle, and I stuck it in there, and, and the cut was right here, and I stuck it in, and I came about an inch and a half too far, because I didn't know what I was doing, and the dude goes, you better back it out, you know, and he's like, I thought he was going to hit me, and I was like, don't hit me, and I eventually got him sewed up, so I've sewed up one person, how many of you are going to volunteer for me to sew you up the next time you have a cut, no, no, so John is, well, but John, is, no, I'm not even going there, John, we'll talk about that another time, John and I talk a lot, okay, never mind, no matter how much experience you have, you're not wise enough to lean on your own understanding, 12 years ago, I'll tell you, give you an example when I leaned on my own understanding. 12 years ago, we bought this building in the house next door, and we proceeded to remodel it from a skating rink into what you see today. So it was just a big, wide-open area. We brought in 400 sheets of sheetrock. And we couldn't do that on our own. We were really small at the time, so we called the, the volunteer Christian builders. And so 12 different couples, retired couples, brought their RVs, parked them out front. And for two weeks, they hung literally 400 sheets of sheetrock in this building and did about 90% of all of the tape and bed and got it ready for us to paint. And we're, we're grateful to God. We never would have finished without them. Well, we were using my trailer. I have a 16-foot trailer, and we were using it to go get materials. And I was running around like crazy. Where were you, George, at that time? George is, does a lot of, he's the general contractor for us now. He was not here. And my wife has actually said, I can't do it anymore. She, she always says, thank God for George, so you don't have to do it, Doug. So I was running around doing all this stuff, and the, and the builder said, we, we make a lot of trash. Can you get us another 16-foot trailer that we can just throw our trash on and you can pull it? Because they had their trailers out there, didn't want to have the trash in there. I said, sure. So I called a friend of mine and said, hey, can I borrow your trailer? And he goes, sure. Well, I was so running crazy that I forgot to go on the day that I asked him if I could borrow his trailer. So 
So I thought, oh, two days later, I went, oh, shoot, forgot to go get the trailer. I'm going to go get the trailer. And I'm telling you, if you've ever seen me move fast, during the time that the volunteer Christian builders were here, I was just on speed the whole time. He's going around. So I go by this guy's house. He's out in the country. And I pull up. And now, when I pull up, I see there's a truck facing this way. And then there's a little truck. There's a small Ford Ranger facing this way. And then right in the middle is this 16-foot trailer. And I thought, and I'm trying to call the guy, and I can't get a hold of him. He's a correctional officer. I learned that. Gerald. He's a correctional officer. And, and so I couldn't get a hold of him. And I'm like, shoot. And so I walk up, I, I literally park my little red Durango and I look and I'm like, Ooh, I can get it through there. I can do it. I leaned on my own understanding. So I backed up cause see, I, I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm above average at backing trailers. So I back in there and I line it up and I get it on there and I start to pull out and I pull up a few feet and I look and I go, Oh shoot. I mean, literally, I had maybe an inch clearance on each side of each truck, all right, each side of the trailer that I was going to scrape the truck, and, and I needed to be over about three inches. I thought, no problem. I'll go back, and I'll pick up the tongue of the trailer, and I'll just move it over a little bit, and I'll reattach it. No problem. Well, the latch wouldn't come off. And so, you know, I'm in a hurry, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll just, I'll put it in reverse, and just, I'll just bump it, and it'll cause the latch to come up, then I'll go back, and I'll take it off, no problem, right? All right, so I put it in reverse, and I bump it, and the next thing I know, the tongue goes flying up, and I see it start to roll down a hill. See, I didn't put that into consideration. It was on a hill, and it starts to go down the hill. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, because there's an RV at the bottom of the hill. And I'm thinking, all I can see is this trailer flying through this RV. My friend's at work. He's going to come home and see I've killed his RV. So I jump out of my Durango. I run back and I grab a 16-foot trailer that's already proceeding down the hill. And it's, dra- I'm, it's dragging me on my booty and I'm bouncing up and down. And I'm going, oh, dear God. By the, I don't know how this happened. This was the grace of God. There's a big honking tree right here. And so by the grace of God, I bounced just enough to turn it smack into the tree. And I went, oh, thank you, Jesus. About that time, I hear this, gosh, awful metal on metal sound because I didn't put my Durango into park. And it is backing down this blue uh, Ford Ranger, bending my door, the driver's side door, bending it all the way back to the fender going... I'm actually, I'd cut my shin because I don't know what happened when I'm bouncing down the hill being drugged by a, by a 16-foot trailer. And so I'm laying there. My, my Durango's coming right toward me. And I thought, the headlines tomorrow, idiot pastor kills himself, removes himself from the gene pool. I would have gotten, gotten a Darwin Award. And so I'm laying there. I'm going, ah! And I jump up and I run up and I hop in and I, and I put my, my Durango in, in park. And I get out and I thought, well, I got to drive this dumb thing home. So I, I'm bending it back and I put it in there. And so, so I'm shaking bad. I mean, I, I, the adrenaline's going. And so I get in the car and I, and I finally figure out I'm not taking this trailer, right? So I start driving to the church because the volunteer Christian builders are out here. And so being brilliant man that I am, I hold the door because it won't close. I hold the door here. I call Janie and I'm shaking. I'm like, baby, you're never going to believe what happens. And I'm driving with my knee down the road. And she's like, hey, babe, don't you think you should hang up and drive? I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So anyway, not on that one. Thank you. No, I didn't go to the emergency room on that one. I will tell that story later. Thank you for playing, Jeff Gillis. You can tell that story when you preach. I leaned on my own understanding, and how did that work out for me? Not well. 
Okay, now maybe you didn't fold your door back and leave a scratch because when my friends came home that day, I, I mean, I left about 800 messages on their answering machine. And when they drive in, my friend goes, someone tried to steal my trailer. And his friend goes, someone ran over my truck. And, and he couldn't see from where he was. He's like, nobody hit your truck. And he's like, nobody took your trailer. Anyway, then there's this big red stripe down the side of his blue, and it knocked off the, the mirror. And, and they're like, who's the idiot? And then they go in and play the message. And they're like, Doug's the idiot. Yes, that is me. Have you ever done anything dumb? Anyone? All right, just making sure I wasn't the only one. The wisest man ever, Solomon said, if you want direction from God, you cannot lean on your own understanding. You must lean on God's directions. So you say, God, I'm going to trust you with all my heart. So direction, here's the, this isn't on your listening guide. It's going to be up here. Direction doesn't begin with information. It begins with submission. God, I'm going to submit to you in my finances. God, I'm going to submit to you with my marriage, even though I don't know what that means. I'm going to trust you before I choose a path. I'm not going to wait until I have only three bad options and then cry out to you, God, please save me from going down the wrong path. I'm going to trust you with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to do that before I get to a fork in the road. Now, here's the next part of the verse. It says, in all your ways, submit to him. Uh, what does all mean? I mean, come on, what does all mean? All, total. What does submit mean? Oh, we don't like that word. I remember people, I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church, and I remember people arguing about whether, you know, women are supposed to submit to men, and da 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 and this was a big, huge argument all the time. Well, long before Paul ever wrote in Ephesians that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, we have a picture of submission that kind of blows all of that out of the water, and it's Jesus Christ himself. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's crying out to God before he's going to be crucified. Look what he says in Matthew 26, 39. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Dear God, if there's another path, I sure want you to show me. But then look what he prays. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It is an act of submission from God's Son. Not The hardest prayer ever to pray. Not my will, but your will be done. See, God always works through submission. God always works through authority because he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he doesn't have to ask your permission to rule. But he also will not show you the right path if you're not under submission. You're in rebellion. God's not obligated to show you anything. In your marriage ways, be under his authority. In your entertainment ways, and don't even get me started on your Facebook posts when you're showing your entertainment ways that quite honestly do not honor God. The reason many of you are not hearing God's voice about the path you're supposed to take is you've got so many competing voices of the world and you're calling it entertainment that you wouldn't know the voice of God if he spoke and he speaks all the time in a clear, still, small voice. But you've got so much other garbage coming in, you can't recognize his voice. In your dating ways, be under his authority. In your morality ways, in your recreational ways, in your vocational ways, in all your ways, submit to him. Make sure you're under his authority, not just on Sundays, not just in religious ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. You see, there should be a God moment in every decision you make, not after you've messed up for the 10th time and gone down the same wrong path and then cried out to God, save me from, from my own stupidity, God, and he's not required to do that. 
He can help redeem you, but he's not required to do that. But if you get under his authority, look what he says at the end of Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now, you may go, oh, whoop-de-doo. Okay, look how the New Living Translation translates that last phrase. And then he will show you which path to take. You ever needed to know which path you're supposed to take? It comes when you don't lean on your own understanding. It comes when you submit to God's authority. Then he'll show you. As a result of trusting God, God will make the path clear. So here's the principle. Submission precedes direction. Submission precedes direction. One of the greatest gifts God has given us is the freedom to choose whatever path we want to take. The problem is our greatest gift can also be our greatest curse because we choose wrong paths all the time. Anyone? Yeah. And we don't just walk down the wrong path. We run down the wrong path with reckless abandon. In, in, my, in my house, Janie says, with R-A. So like if you're eating a, a, a chicken leg and you are getting after it, she says, you're eating that chicken leg with R-A. Or if you're cleaning, you're cleaning with R-A. Or whatever you're doing, you're doing it with R-A. And it's really funny because Hannah watched the early service and she said, so she just texts me afterwards. She goes, you were preaching with R-A. And I said, exactly. My, my whole family says that. You hear them say, with R.A. We don't just walk down the wrong path. We run down it with R.A. And then we get mad at God. How could you not protect me from my own choices when I was out from underneath your authority? The incredible thing about following God is he can redeem your past and he can actually use your past to bring someone else into the kingdom of God if you submit to his authority. The rest of your life can be the best of your life if you're under his authority. If you'll turn all of your life over to Christ's care and concern. Well, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to show you from the life of Moses. Moses was the greatest man in the Old Testament. Uh, He's the guy who led the Jews um, to freedom from slavery after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. The greatest nation at that time was Egypt, and their leader was called Pharaoh. God sent Moses to the most powerful man on the planet, and he said, let my people go. And I always think of Charlton Heston, you know, in in the Ten Commandments. That's a horribly inaccurate biblical biblical movie, right? But I will never forget the the death angel, that little green cloud coming down and killing people. You know, I remember that being the, the Passover death angel. And I remember Charlton Heston saying, let my people go. I can't do it because my voice is too high. But you understand, that's that's what I remember. Moses is the guy that went to him. He also is the guy that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so my question is, how, how could God use a guy like Moses so well? Well, we're going to find out in, in Hebrews chapter 11. There's five verses we're going to look at. It's on your listening guide. Moses made five choices that if you'll make those so, same choices, God will show you which path to take every time. Say every time. Say every time. Pharaoh feared that the population of the Jews was getting so big that if any enemy invaded them, that the Jews might side with the enemy and overthrow them. So he made a law and he said, every Jewish baby that's born that is a male, you're to throw into the Nile River and and drown them. You're to kill your baby boys. And Moses' uh, parents said, nope, we're not doing that. We fear God more than Pharaoh. So rather than kill him, they actually made a little basket, a watertight basket. They put him in the Nile River amongst these reeds. And it just so happens, and in the kingdom of God, there's no just so happens. It wasn't coincidence. But it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter comes and is bathing at that part of the river. She hears the baby crying. She goes open up the basket. She falls in love with the baby, adopts him. Uh, He becomes the grandson of Pharaoh, and nobody but the daughter knows that he's actually a Jew. 
<laughs> this is kind of crazy. I want you to read this with me in, in Hebrews chapter 11. So by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. So they made a choice before Moses ever had an opportunity. By faith, they hid him because they saw he was no ordinary child. And by the way, there is no such thing as an ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of this law that said, throw your baby into the Nile River. Now look at the choices Moses made. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, oh, there's the key, when he'd grown up. Some of you need to grow up. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God, like slaves. Rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, he regarded disgrace, so he regarded being a slave with these people of God for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward in heaven. By faith, he left Egypt, and he led the Jews out to freedom, not fearing the king's anger. That's Pharaoh, the, the one that people thought was a god. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So there's five verbs in this passage that we're going to look at and if you'll make these same choices, if you'll do these same actions, God will show you the path to take. By faith, Moses refused, he chose, he regarded, he left, and he persevered. So number one, I refuse to be defined by others. God did not make you to be what somebody else wants you to be. Not your mommy, not your daddy, not your girlfriend, not your boss, not your wife. God made you to be you. Look what it says. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, it's a mark of maturity. Some of you still hadn't grown up. That's why you're not refusing certain things. When he'd grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had this identity crisis. He could live in luxury as the grandson of Pharaoh, have all kinds of status and image and all kinds of riches, and maybe even, we don't know, maybe even eventually become Pharaoh if he just didn't tell anybody who he was, or, or he could admit that he was a slave. He was a Jew. And the people, the, the Egyptians regarded Jews as lower than any animal in existence. The, the Egyptians thought they were better than the Jews. And once he identified with the Jews, there would be no going back to the palace. He's going to have a life of pain and sorrow the rest of his life. Which would you choose? Life of luxury or a life of pain that God has designed for you? Moses insisted on being who God was, who God made him to be. So here's my first question. Who are you letting determine your identity? Because someone is determining your identity. Either God the Father, you, or someone else is determining who you are supposed to be in this world. And look what Romans 12, 2. This is the Phillips translation. Look what it says. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good. Here's what we do. We go outside these walls. We do not submit to God's authority. Non-Christians look at our lives and they go, where's your God? You're not proving by your actions that God's plan for you is good because you're not on God's path. He's not showing you because you're leaning on your own understanding. You cannot discover the plan of God if you're letting others define you. Don't ever let someone push you into doing something that you don't want to do or you know is wrong. Those people aren't trying, that you're trying to impress, they aren't your friends. If anyone ever tells you to do something that contradicts the word of God that is a sin, they are not your friend. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of their hearts. See, most people are so afraid of criticism, they're afraid of rejection, disapproval. Real success in life, though, is, is being exactly who God made you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. 
refuse to be defined by anyone but God. And I actually was trying to figure this out today, and I couldn't this morning. I didn't have enough time to do this. I can't tell you how many times people in this church have said, Doug, you're doing it wrong. The way you preach is wrong. The way you look at the Bible, it's wrong. People in this church, members of this church have said, you're doing it wrong and you need to go to God. One guy actually said, you need to pray about it because you're doing it wrong. And so I went and I prayed. I was really seeking God. God, am I, what am, am I doing this wrong? And God said, you keep doing what I called you to do. I did not call you to please that man. I called you to please me. So I went back to him and I said, I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. And he said, then I have to leave. And I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with that. Because I'm not, I'm not called to please that man. I'm called to please an audience of one. Second, I choose short-term pain for long-term gain. If you've ever exercised, if you've ever tried to save money, if you've ever been in a relationship, if you've ever been in sports, you understand this process. If you don't practice hard, you're not going to play well. Um, <laughs> depends on what you, who you root for in college football, whether you had a good day yesterday or not. There were some that just didn't do well. I believe that Janie and I have a good marriage, but you know why we have a good marriage? For 28 years, we've worked at it. I read something years ago when, when we were first married, and it said this about marriage. It says, if you're going to have a successful marriage, you, it takes work, and it takes work, and it takes work. That was the three points. And I remember teaching this to my teenagers at the time. And Janie and I have worked and worked and worked for 28 years. And when we've had disagreements, we work. And when we have good times, we work. And when we have crises, we work. And we have a good relationship because we work. Didn't come easy. Most of the problems in your life and in mine come because we don't really understand this phrase, delayed gratification. Everything in society teaches us that you can have it now. Y'all remember, this shows my age, but y'all remember the old J.G. Wentworth commercial? It's my money and I want it. Some of you are just about as old as I am. Now, they've actually reworked that, that uh, commercial. In the old commercial, it was, you know, you had some uh, lawsuit and you won money and they were just making monthly payments and if you wanted a lump sum, J.G. Wentworth would give you a lump sum and it's got to be a ripoff. But anyway, but what they would do is that in the commercial, they would throw open the, the windows and they go, it's my money and I want it now. I mean, they're screaming to the neighborhood, right? Or they throw open the front door, it's my money, I want it now. Well, I saw just the other day, they reworked the commercial. And so I guess it's for millennials and so, um, so it's like, you know, it is my money, and I want it now. And I'm going, anyway. I think we need to rework the phrase for American society. I've got no money, but I want it now. That's why we're in debt. It's why in America, we, the average American spends 104% of their salary. Do the math. It doesn't take long to realize you're broke. It's my, I have no money and I want it now. So what do we do? We pull out the credit card and we charge it because I want it now. That's why we're in debt because you don't delay gratification. You could pay yourself. Oh, but that's too hard. And you could save for a couple of years and pay cash. No, that's too difficult. If you... Use your finances like that. Don't expect God to show you his path. He doesn't do that. I got sick when I came back from Belize back in, um, in July. 
And I coughed literally. I mean, cough where stars are coming out, stuff's coming up. You know, I coughed for eight weeks. Went to the doctor, went on, was on three different antibiotics. And, and so some of my friends at the Y were like, dude, where, where you been? You're, you're sloughing off. And I'm like, I've been sick as a dog. I'm not going to come in there and, and bark like a seal during, you know, exercise. And so I said, when I get well, and now I should never say that publicly because I'm pretty much well, which means I'm going to have to go this week. But let's say, let's say I go one time this week and I exercise and I come home and I start looking in the mirror. How much good is one hour of exercise going to do? But I want it now. If I go on one date with my wife over the next 10 years, when I get to my 38-year anniversary, will I still be able to say I have a good relationship, a good marriage with my wife? Not if I only go on one date. But I want to have a good marriage now. I don't want to work at it. I want to have a good body now. That is not happening. People disregard God's commandments all the time. I don't want to follow what God says about sex. It's my body and I want sex now. I'm not married. I want sex now. One of the, one of the greatest problems that I deal with in marriage counseling is people who've had too many sexual partners before they get married. Because you give a part of your soul. There, it, we'll, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but there is a penalty for sexual sin that is a higher penalty than any other. And, and part of the reason is because sin entered through the human race. Jesus was born of a virgin. And because Jesus was born of a virgin, Satan has been attacking virginity ever since. And there's this higher penalty for, for sexual sin. When, when I went back to my 10-year reunion... I didn't have sex with anybody in my high school. I, I didn't have sex until Janie and I got married. And, and when I went back to my high school reunion, there was no awkward situations where I had to say, ooh, Janie, let's not talk to her. Why? Well, you don't want to know. Nothing awkward because there was, there was no, no sex. Was it difficult to, to stay a virgin until I got married? Oh, yeah. Was it worth it? Oh, Yeah because I don't have those soul ties with someone else. Well, but that's not easy, because I want sex now. Well, you're going to be off God's path. He is not going to show you His way, because you're not under His authority. The right thing to do is almost always the more difficult thing to do. If somebody hurts me, the easy thing is to hurt them back. What God says is forgive them. Well, that's too hard. No, your Heavenly Father says you can do it. Short-term pain for long-term gain is the right thing to do. Look at verse 25. Moses chose to be mistreated, that's painful, along with the people of God as a slave, rather than to enjoy in the palace of Pharaoh the pleasures of sin for a short time. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, nobody would do it. But the Bible says it's only sun, sin is only fun for a while, and then the bondage comes, and then the loneliness and the guilt comes. See, God has given you freedom of choice. You, you're free to choose anything you want to do, but you are not free from the consequences. You go out and have sex with everybody and you get an STD or you have a child out of wedlock. There is no such thing in my mind as an illegitimate child. There, there is a such thing, according to the scriptures, illegitimate relationships. You, you suffer the consequences of your actions, of the path you chose. The moment you make the choice, you're no longer free, so you better make sure you make the right choices. In verse 24, we see Moses refusing. Then in verse 25, he's choosing. 
The negative is always followed by the positive. Now, I hear all the time, man, Christians, that's just a bunch of rules, a bunch of don'ts. You don't do this, don't do this. I don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew, don't go out with girls who do. That's all you guys are about. And if that's true, then everybody, if if Christianity is just a matter of what you don't do, then everybody who's in a cemetery is a Christian because they don't do anything. Yeah, it went over just about as well in the first service as it just did then. Christianity is more than just what you don't do. It's saying, I, I choose not to do this. I refuse this so that I can choose to do something better. The negative is always followed by a positive. And it says he, refu- he did the refusing and the choosing when he'd grown up. It's a mark of maturity. It's a mark of responsibility. So where do you need to accept responsibility for your life? Who are you blaming for your unhappiness? If I just had a different wife and I just want to go, really? Because you'll still be there even if you get another wife. And I'm pretty sure you're part of the problem. If I just hadn't grown up in the family, really, you're going to blame God for putting you in the wrong family. And it's God's fault I'm so jacked up. Okay, yeah, maybe your parents had some influence on you. But at some point, you got to say, I'm going to be responsible for the rest of my life. The rest of my life can be the best of my life if you'll choose to follow God. If I could just get married, actually, I shared this with somebody this week. It is better to be single and lonely than it is to be married and lonely because I talk to people all the time. The the biggest misery I've seen is people who are married thinking marriage was going to save them from their loneliness, and they're lonely in marriage, and they're looking for the exit. That's a misery you don't want to experience. If I could just have a baby, then I'd be happy. Have you been around one lately? I mean, my grandson's in town. I love my grandson. But at 3 o'clock last night, I didn't even know this until Janie came to church uh, earlier. And she's, you know, she's kind of tired. And I'm like, hi, baby. She goes, hey, Waylon decided to cough and, and, and get this little clog in his throat and vomit at 3 o'clock this morning. I'm like, thanks for not including me in that. And then Rachel walks in. And she's like, I'd have been here sooner for band, but had to change a poopy diaper. That made you happy, didn't it? Right? I love my grandson. That's a higher level than my children. I told my children, I loved having y'all, but I, having a grandson is better because I get to send him home, right? Having a baby is not going to make you happy. Happiness is a choice. You're as happy as you choose to be. You're also as close to God as you choose to be because being close to God is a choice. Third thing I'm going to choose is God's values, not the world's. Look what it says about Moses. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead. Where was he looking? Where was he looking? Where was he looking? We'll keep going until everybody says it. Where was he looking? Thank you. He was looking ahead. Moses chose God's values over the world's because he was looking to something that wasn't even of this world. He's looking ahead. Let me ask you this. Who's more famous? Moses or the Pharaoh that he went to? Do you even know the Pharaoh he went to? Just anyone? They were guessing in the early service, and they were guessing that it was obvious. Uh, Ramses, Thutmose the third. Nobody even knew that one. That's a preacher one there. It doesn't matter. The point is, Moses is famous because he followed God. Pharaoh was wiped out in the Red Sea because he didn't follow God. We don't even know his name. Look what Scripture says about this. 1 John 2, 17, the world and everything that people want in it 
are passing away, but the person who does what God wants lives forever. I want to live forever. Moses was looking ahead, and so God blessed him. So here's the point. Vision sets values. This is on your listening guide. Vision sets values. What you're looking at will determine what you value. He was looking ahead at God's kingdom. Fourth thing we're going to choose is I choose to live by faith rather than by fear. By faith, Moses left Egypt. He had to leave some relationships that were pulling him down. And some of you, if you're going to follow God, you've got to leave some relationships that are pulling you down. And I'm not talking about a marriage relationship. There are biblical reasons to leave a marriage relationship. Most people I know who leave marriage relationships have nothing to do with biblical reasons. But some of you are in some friendships that are pulling you down. And if you're going to be where God wants you to be, you're going to have to leave them just like Moses did. Not fearing the king's anger. So you're going to have to, you're going to live by one or the other, either fear or faith. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Moses had every reason to be afraid of, of Pharaoh because his people thought he was a god, a lowercase g. And, and whatever he said, you had to do. So if Pharaoh said you had to cut off your right arm, either you were going to cut off your right arm or some of Pharaoh's thugs were going to cut off your right arm. If Pharaoh said, jump out the window, you were jumping out that window, or some of his thugs were going to help you jump out that window because whatever Pharaoh said, you did. And if Pharaoh said, throw all of your baby boys in the Nile River and drown them, you do it because he's a lowercase g unless you fear the capital G, God. That's the guy that Moses goes to and says, hey, we're under new leadership. We're out of here. That took faith. He could have been afraid. You're only going to accomplish the impossible if you see the invisible. The closer you get to God, the less fear you're going to have. The farther you are from God, the more fear you're going to have. So you're going to have a crisis. You're probably going to have a crisis in 2019 or certainly in 2020. The the odds that you're going to go through the next 365 days without some kind of crisis are very, very slim. So my suggestion to you is why not put into place a support system before that happens? Why not get involved in a small group and and start loving people and and walking through crises with them so that when you go through a crisis, they're there for you? Janie and I have some folks that we trust during crisis. In fact, back in December, um, Rachel actually called uh, one of my best friends and and Janie's best friends and said, hey, mom and dad are sucking wind. Would y'all come? They, They got in their car and drove down, just spent the day with us. And when they drove out of town, our hearts were full. They drove three and a half hours just to spend the day with us and tell us how much they loved, with us, loved us and prayed with us and they encouraged us. And they know we do the same for them. Don't wait until your spouse or your, some loved one comes down with cancer and then get involved in a group. Here's what happens all the time in the church. People get mad all the time. Bad stuff happens and they get mad at the church because nobody did anything but nobody knew. If you don't tell somebody you're in the hospital or that something bad happens, that's on you. Go back to our our temperament from last week. Suck it up, buttercup. If you're not going to tell us, don't get mad at us that we don't know and nobody's there. That's your problem. Get involved in a small group and then it's all of our problem. Does that make sense? Last thing. Because God, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like stone, determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. I don't know how many times over the past 17 years that I've been a pastor 
The only voice that I have heard saying, keep doing what you're doing, is the Lord God, is the sovereign Lord. There have been times I've wanted to walk away and said, it's just not worth it. And as I'm sitting there, when I open up my Bible and I begin to pray, the Father just says, who are you doing it for? And, and I have to say, you. And he says, that's the right answer. You're not doing it for the man who said you're doing it wrong. You're not doing it for somebody who mistook your words or whatever. You know, one time I had a, had a guy quit coming to our church. He told another guy months later, the reason he quit coming to our church is because I passed him in Walmart and I didn't say hi to him. Now, if you know me, does that sound like me? If I walk by you, there is so much garbage going in my... If I don't say hi to you, smack me. You have permission. Gently. But I mean, seriously, that's why he didn't come? That's not why he, didn't, he quit coming to church. There were other issues. He just wanted to blame it on me. There are times when you're going to have to say, God, I am, you're the only audience I care about. And if no one keeps coming, I'm going to keep doing what you call me to do. If you want God to show you the right path, some of you are going to have to bow the knee to him and submit to him today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that you've shown us through Moses' life, how we can be people who, who know the right path, who every time we'll know the right path to take. Make us into people willing to do whatever it takes to discover your will. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.